Hey, this is Scott Ardella, author of The Edge of Strength, now available on Amazon, and you're listening to the Ardella Training Podcast, the strength and performance podcast for the serious fitness enthusiast. Now, let's get started with this week's show. Hey, if you're looking for a new high-quality kettlebell, I've got a recommendation for you. My preferred kettlebell brand, due to exceptional quality and outstanding price, is the Rogue Kettlebell, which I personally use. I recommend this brand if you're looking to add kettlebells to your collection or get started with your kettlebell training experience. The shape, the feel, the design, the quality is excellent, and I highly recommend it. To see the exact kettlebell I use, go to ardellatraining.com forward slash kettlebell. Again, that's ardellatraining.com forward slash kettlebell. You won't find a high-quality kettlebell for this price anywhere else. So definitely check it out, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode number 172 this week with my guest, Zach Long. I'll tell you all about Zach in just a minute, and I think you're really going to enjoy this interview session. So thank you for all the great reviews in iTunes. The reviews recently have been really fantastic. Thank you so much. And be sure to drop in your review in iTunes. It's fast and easy. And as I always say, these reviews really help grow the Ardella Training Podcast. We got a lot of new things happening here with the show. So many great guests. It's just been pretty unbelievable to tell you the truth. And one of the new things that we started is the interrogation series, the new interrogation series. We just launched the first episode of that. And what this is, is short rapid fire interviews with real world people from the Ardella training community. These are real stories and lessons in short condensed interviews that will be in between our regular shows. Again, this is called the interrogation series. And uh, we just launched the first one. I have a handful of these that are going to be coming, and they're really, really awesome. So definitely check out this new uh, interview series. I think you'll get a lot of value out of these short sessions. Also, make sure to go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join to get uh, a ton of free stuff, to tell you the truth. You're going to become part of the uh, Ardella Training community, get a valuable training guide with 12 big training mistakes that I've made through the years. And this guide will save you time and frustration, I guarantee. So check that out. You'll get that and more at ardellatraining.com forward slash join. Another thing you're going to want to check out, and we're going to talk about this in the interview with Zach that you're going to hear about toward the end of the interview. And that is uh, something called the Global Performance Summit. And I'm really excited about this. I'm honored to be part of it. And this is a great online summit with uh, some of the great thought leaders and experts in the uh, strength and conditioning space. So uh, again, you're going to hear about that in the interview, and I'm happy to be part of it. So uh, make sure to check the show notes section for episode number 172, and uh, you can get uh, more information there and the links and all that kind of stuff for the Global Performance Summit. So make sure to check out the show notes section. Definitely check that out. And again, you will hear about that at the end of this interview session with Zach. So let me tell you about Zach, and then we're going to get right into the interview this week. So Zach Long holds a doctorate in physical therapy from East Carolina University. He has a bachelor's with the highest honors in exercise and sports science 
from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He is the director of physical therapy at Carolina Sports Clinic, and he is the creator of the Barbell Physio com where you can find him online. Additionally, he is a certified selective functional movement assessment professional. He is certified in dry needling and he is a CrossFit level one certified trainer as well as a NASM performance enhancement specialist. So listen, guys, I know you're going to enjoy this interview session, so let's do it. Let's jump into the interview this week with my friend Zach Long. All right, Zach Long, otherwise known as the Barbell Physio, is joining the show today. Zach, first of all, thank you so much for being here, and we're going to jump right into the interview session and the questions. So I'm really curious, what led you to become a physical therapist? I think we probably all have our own stories as to what led us into our career. So I'm curious, why did you become a physical therapist? Well, like a lot of, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Like a lot of physical therapists out there, I started out playing high school sports, getting involved and being more active, hitting the weight room. And and the weight room is is what I really, really loved through high school. And that led me into thinking that I was going to go more into the strength and conditioning realm. I actually spent a couple of years working in college strength and conditioning, working in high school strength and conditioning. Um, And as much as I enjoyed that, I always felt like it wasn't quite the right challenge for me long term. And and that I needed something a little bit different. And I just happened to stumble into a job working at a physical therapy office in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where uh, two great physical therapists uh, really inspired me into going further into that field. So was fortunate enough to get into East Carolina University for physical therapy school and uh, have just been in love with that profession since I went to school. And I'm fortunate enough now that I'm in an area where I kind of get to combine a lot of that strength and conditioning stuff that I really love with the uh, physical therapy side of things as well right now. So a question I've asked some of the other, I guess, strength coach slash physical therapists that have been on before. What are your thoughts about that combination as kind of the, the hybrid coach and injury prevention specialist? I mean, I think that it's really exciting to see the, the combination and the skill set and that so many more people are are going down that path. I'm sure like I do, you probably get emails from people that are aspiring to to do the same type of thing, you know, where they're they've had a background as a strength coach and they're looking into that physical therapy arena. So what what are your thoughts of kind of the the new breed of physical therapists that's out there? Man, I am so unbelievably excited for for the profession of physical therapy right now with yes. with those hybrid strength conditioning physical therapist guys. You know, uh, I know you've had Kelly Starrett on the podcast before. KSAR is somebody that's kind of revolutionized a lot of what we do in physical therapy as far as the mentality and bringing PT to more of the masses and people that might not would have thought of using a physical therapist in the past. And there's just a ton of other guys that have followed in his footsteps doing stuff a little bit different, but he's been such a great leader in that for us. It's unbelievably exciting to see that that we're doing more than just helping people that aren't injured, that on a daily basis, physical therapists are helping people perform better in their sports, understand more how their mobility and motor control needs can be met through, you know, some supervised assessment of their movement. It's really exciting how much the uh, the profession is going to go about changing, not just those injured, but those wanting to perform optimally. Definitely. Now tell us a little bit about your setting and, and who you work with. Okay. I work, you know, day to day, I work at Carolina Sports Clinic in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got a couple clinics there. Work with a lot of runners, a lot of uh, elite weightlifters, and a good number of CrossFitters. So uh, it's a very active population day to day. 
in the clinic, which is a lot of fun. Um, people that are just super motivated to get better and get back to doing the things that they love. And then, of course, my website tends to focus more on that fitness athlete that uh, is trying to improve their performance through, you know, every means possible. They understand how how being able to move correctly will impact their performance. And they're not just, you know, our, our typical meathead like you and I probably were 10 <laughs> years ago. Where it was just, hey, man, let's get in the gym and let's, let's hit some heavy weights. Now we understand how, you know, having awesome hip mobility is going to make you a better squatter. Definitely. Talk about the uh, the barbell physio. So how did that uh, evolve for you? That's your website, thebarbellphysio.com. Tell us about that. Explain that. You know, I started blogging when I was in school, just as a hobby, as a way to write and get stuff out there. I didn't really uh, pursue much as far as, uh, you know, trying to put that out there. It was just me putting my ideas down. It was me challenging myself on a daily basis to learn something new so that I could share something new with the internet. And then I started writing for CrossFit Journal which got me a good bit of exposure. And I, and I started to think, man, I got to take this, this writing stuff a little bit more seriously. And that's where right. the Barbell Physio as a whole website and brand came together. Just really wanted to, to combine the physical therapy with the strength and conditioning. And I wanted a name that reflected that. And, you know, fortunately, I was able to land on the Barbell Physio, which is, you know, I, I love barbell lifting. I love Olympic weightlifting. So yeah. Barbell with Physio fit me perfectly. And, nice. and the brand focuses on, on basically me. If I didn't have a physical therapy degree, what are the things that I would want to know? <laughs> well, it's a cool name for sure. Do you view the barbell as a rehab tool? Absolutely. I'm fortunate enough. If you come into my clinic, man, it, it looks like a mini CrossFit gym. I've got a squat rack, barbells. I've got kettlebells, TRX, there's not an exercise bike or a leg press or any machines in my gym. It's all kind of free weights, things like that. So the barbell is something that I pull out on a daily basis. I think that more of what we need to be doing in the physical therapy profession is, is loading people and really working on strength through movement patterns. I think uh, sometimes maybe we fail some of our patients in that we, we maybe get the, the joint moving better. We get the, uh, you know, we, we do some isolated strength stuff. Maybe it's not even strength because we might not be loading them enough, but I think as a whole, we could do a better job of integrating full body strength and conditioning. And I can't think of a better tool to train full body strength than the barbell. Right. Now, what about for injured athletes that are, that are coming back, that are actually rehabbing? And this might be an obvious question, but what are the uh, key exercises that you'll focus in by using the barbell? I assume it's not Olympic weightlifting, you know, it's more the fundamental lifts. One thing that's really important in, in the rehab setting is if somebody's going to go back to Olympic weightlifting or go back to, you know, doing kipping pull-ups or something like that, you probably want to watch them do that movement. And so, you know, if I've got a CrossFitter or a weightlifter that I'm working with, then I might pull the barbell out and I'll have people doing cleans with 200 pounds in the physical therapy clinic. Obviously that's not day one, that's down the road when we're nearing discharge, but I think it's important for us to to maybe pull that out for Olympic weightlifting in the clinic. If that's what the athlete does, I want to see them do it. I want to understand how they move Definitely. when they're under heavier weight. You know, sometimes we'll we'll pull out a CrossFit style workout here in the clinic and you'll be doing a 10 minute AMRAP with kettlebell swings and deadlifts or something else to see what also happens to you when you get fatigued. So, you know, doing Olympic weightlifting isn't a staple move for me in the clinic, but it's definitely sure. something that I, I do every now and then. And patients usually think it's pretty daggum funny when I tell them to start doing a clean or a snatch in the clinic. <laughs> but, you know, for most patients that, that I'm pulling a barbell out for, it might be doing some, some deadlift retraining. I like to do a lot of 
kind of landmine type movements where maybe we're doing some shoulder presses with a little heavier weight, but doing it with a landmine style rather yes. than doing just a strict barbell overhead press tends to be a little easier. tends to be a good stepping stone between, hey, we don't need to do these simple rehab exercises, but we're not quite ready for full overhead presses. So we might do some altered things like that. Landmine style squats are great too. So I, I love that. I personally, I don't do enough of the, the landmine work, but I think it's fantastic. Can you explain that for someone that's listening that they have no idea what landmine exercises are? All right. So uh, take a barbell and you're holding the very end of one side of the barbell. The other end of the barbell is on the ground or inside of a specific piece of equipment that's made for that. I typically just leave the barbell on the ground. And so you're only holding that one half of the barbell. And so I might have somebody down in, in half kneeling where their one knee's down, the other leg's up or tall kneeling and they're pressing overhead. So instead of as they press the barbell going straight vertical, it's going at more like a 135 degree angle is where their, their shoulder motion's going. So it tends to be a little bit of an in-between motion for, for beginning some overhead work without being too stressful. Yeah. And the, the actual, I have a, the rogue landmine, which is the, um, the little device that attaches into the plates and it's a fantastic tool. I think that's like 80 bucks or something like that. So yeah, I need to pick one up (laughs) besides the barbell. What's maybe your other top training tool. Do you have one? I use kettlebells quite a bit as well. I think maybe one of my favorite rehab exercises is the goblet squat. It's just an amazing tool for improving hip mobility, motor control, core stability. I'd say I actually, I might use a kettlebell more in the clinic than I use a barbell. Yeah. I also do tons of loaded carries with kettlebells in the clinic. Yeah. You know, the beauty about loaded carries is the uh, the technique. I mean, there's not a lot to instruct with. You kind of pick up a heavy bell or any object and go. So it's, and it's a wonderful tool. It's easy to do and, and a lot of benefits to that. Speaking of technique, uh, that brings me back to an earlier question I wanted to ask you. So you talked about how you watch your athletes move with kipping pull-ups and snatches and things like that. How do you rate technique on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most important? Ooh. So if we're talking somebody that wants to, that, that they're just in there for fitness, uh-huh. if you're working out for fitness, then I believe when you're doing a workout, technique needs to be absolutely at the forefront of your mind and technique should never go out the window. So if we take like, you know, your CrossFit athlete that's just doing it for fun, doing it to be a little bit more fit, then then I don't think there's any reason why you should ever really let your technique break down. And if it starts to break down during a workout, you shouldn't push forward for a few more seconds. Now, if we're talking about one of my uh, a more elite lifter, more elite CrossFitter, and, and they have a little breakdown during a competition, uh, I think that's something that's probably a little bit acceptable. You know, obviously we don't want that to be horrible, but sometimes that's what happens when you're in competition. Right. But uh, zero to 10, most of the time it's it's a 10. You're going to get the best muscle activation, the best movement patterns when your technique is is proper. Definitely. What are the uh, the most common injuries that, that you see in your clinic, in your setting? Uh, I see a lot of rotator cuff strains, just general overuse of the shoulder due to muscle imbalances around the shoulder good bit of uh, anterior hip pain, hip impingement with people trying to do deep squats and a lot of patellofemoral pain. Um, those would be top three. Secondary to that, we get a decent number of low back pain just from uh, usually poor technique when it comes to lifting or overloading the low back in workouts. There's a lot of CrossFit style workouts tend to do these days and um, a good number of hamstring strains too. Okay. That's interesting that low back is not in the uh, top three. No, not as much. Um, I think some of my colleagues probably see a little bit more low back than I do right now. 
but for me, it's it's definitely number four and number five. Okay. All right. Let's talk about uh, the number one, which is the uh, the shoulder problem, maybe the, the muscle imbalance, rotator cuff, scapula imbalance. What's kind of your approach there? And I know it, you know, again, depends on the individual, but in general, what, uh, how are you approaching uh, shoulder dysfunction? So I, uh, I love functional movement systems and the selective functional movement assessment. So I'd say that'd be a big guide for how I treat the shoulder. I really want to analyze what their active movement is and compare that to passive because you will find a lot of athletes that, that maybe, uh, maybe when you ask them to do an active elevation of their shoulder, maybe they only show 160, 170 degrees. But if you take them down and look at them passively, they might have full motion. And you'll find a lot of athletes that have thought for years that they have these really, really tight shoulders. And, and really what it comes down to is they, they lack a little bit of that motor control. They lack in-range overhead stability. So we'll do some different drills to try to help them regain that motor control at the top end, which will clear up a lot of shoulder pain. Another thing I see a lot of is, is a lot of people know when their shoulder external rotation is tight. So that's not something that people come and see me for a lot. But you also find a lot of internal rotation deficits of the shoulder. And uh, I think typically when you see internal rotation deficits, you're thinking that maybe the posterior shoulder is a little tight, which might alter the position of the, the humeral head in the socket. So that's another one of the really big things that I look for. You also get a lot of lat tightness in athletes because they spend so much time doing pull-ups, swings, deadlifts, and, and the Olympic lifts, which tend to just really develop the lats a lot. And if they're not spending a decent amount of time really making sure that that lat stays as flexible as possible, that's going to get a little tied down and limit their motion as well. How much time are you spending on mobility work in general? And again, I know it depends, but uh, is that a big part of, of your approach is uh, working on mobility? So I'm a big believer in, um, in, in really pinpointing and targeting the specific areas that you're limited in. I think too many people, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I always say it's really sexy to stretch your hamstrings. It's really sexy to do the, the pigeon stretch for hip external rotation or to stretch your chest out. There, there's some different areas that everybody likes to stretch that everybody thinks is tight. But, you know, you, you know this as a, as a physical therapist. So many people feel like they have tight hamstrings and they don't have tight hamstrings. Just because a muscle can be stretched doesn't mean it's tight. So I'm a much bigger fan on, on really pinpointing what your specific limitations are and focusing on those. So for somebody like me, I've hammered away at all those specific things for a really, really long time. So, you know, I still have some hip internal rotation deficits and a little bit of that in-range shoulder motor control. And those are the two mobility things that I have to work on on a weekly basis. But that's it. So for me, I'm personally not doing a whole lot, but I've got some athletes that, you know, they might need to do 10 or 15 minutes on a close to daily basis. Right. And it really comes down to, you know, getting analyzed by a coach or a physical therapist or, or rehab professional that understands how to help you pinpoint those things. Do you find that with a lot of the, the exercises? So, you know, Olympic lifting is a great example that if you're really dialed into your, your technique and you're doing a lot of lifting that you may not necessarily have mobility issues that could have been there before, but because you're engaged in this high level lifting, and you could say the same thing about kettlebells too, the point is that because of your, your training and the way you're training, you may not have to do any extra mobility work. You follow what I'm saying? So it kind of cleans up any <clears throat> restrictions. Absolutely. You know, I'm really blessed right now. There are a lot of very, very high level Olympic weightlifters in my area, national level, Olympic level people that I've had the opportunity to work with. And it's amazing how many of them have just excellent mobility. 
and they do spend some time working on it. But if you look at how daggum mobile those guys are, I think a lot of that is from the time under the weight. Sure. I mean, if when you're squatting that heavy and you're doing it ass to the grass like those guys do, your body's not going to tighten up a whole lot because it doesn't <laughs> right. have a choice. Yeah. You know, you, you got four or five, 600 pounds pushing you down into the bottom of a hole. That hip's going to work out pretty well as long as it started, you know, decent. So I believe that loading movements is the best thing you could probably do for mobility. I think you're, you're much better off doing good controlled loaded mobility movements and you'll get more out of those than spending a lot of time stretching and foam rolling. I think one of my favorite things to do for mobility is uh, eccentric isometrics. I love putting 185 pounds on the barbell and, and doing a seven count negative and pausing for five seconds in the bottom. If you spend a couple weeks doing that, your squat's going to change. You're going to have so much more control throughout the full squat range of motion. The bottom position of your squat's going to feel amazing. And I can't think of any stretch that's going to have quite the effect that something like an eccentric isometric front squat or eccentric isometric goblet squat can have. Yeah, that's a great tip. That is a great tip. Now, if you do have mobility tools, uh, what, what are maybe your top tool or two? So you mentioned the foam roller. Do you use a foam roller at all, lacrosse balls, things like that? So I tend to do more, if I'm doing mobility work, I really like exercises where you're going to be activating muscles through the full range of motion. Right. So let's say somebody's got a little bit of limitation in that in-range shoulder flexion. I love doing like a downward dog yoga pose Yes, where, where the shoulders are staying active through that full range of motion. So you're getting a stretch in there, but it's not just a passive stretch where you're, you're temporarily putting tension on the muscle. It's you're actively using all the muscles through the shoulder girdle to really help you own those positions. And I think that makes a huge difference in mobility work. People don't get quite as much out of, out of static stretching as, as a lot of them think they do. Static stretching has also gotten a really bad rap lately. And, and I think it is useful. But if I have the choice between actively using a muscle through its full range of motion or just putting passive tension on a muscle, I'm going to choose going active range of motion, especially if I can rig up an exercise that helps you hit that in range a little bit, maybe a little bit more than you are actively currently getting and then get you firing the muscle in those few extra degrees. Yeah, I think that'll, that'll help you own it much more long term and and keep your gains better. Yeah. And maybe that's what I was trying to say earlier about, you know, with the, the type of training that you do. So even when you're doing like the downward dog and, and different active movements, it really does, it improves your mobility, you know, differently and maybe better than just passive stretching or mobility work. I mean, everything has a role. Everybody's different, but, uh, you know, I've definitely found a lot of benefit from the, the type of training I do in the last couple of years. And because of that, I don't, have any mobility issues. I don't have to spend that extra time on, on mobility. So, yeah, yeah. I just had a great talk with, uh, with, with John Russin on a similar topic. You know, a lot of these, uh, stretches and corrective exercises we do, people do day in and day out. And John made a great point about this. He said, corrective exercises aren't meant to be a long-term thing. They're meant to be something you have to do temporarily and then never have to revisit. And I think uh, a lot of times we get into that habit of, of, Hey, let's keep doing this exercise because it feels good where instead we need to find those things that are going to create long-term effects and then don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. If you're still doing the same corrective exercise you were doing four or five, six months ago, then you chose the wrong exercise. (laughs) 
probably should reevaluate where where you are and if it's needed, of course. Right. And you know, with things like that downward dog or goblet squats, those are also exercises that, you know, if you're if you're the super tight muscle bound guy trying to get some mobility, or you're the, you know, stereotypical super flexible woman, whether you need mobility or you need some motor control stability stuff, they hit you no matter where you are in that spectrum. So if you're a coach trying to program quote, mobility work for a a group of people, you might not want everybody doing supine hamstring stretch because there's going to be some people that already have more hamstring flexibility than they need, some people that need a lot. But if you program those kind of combo moves that hit the the mobility and stability at the same time, you're going to hit everybody's needs at once. Definitely. If you had to summarize your, your approach to performance, strength conditioning, how would you summarize it in a sentence or two? or maybe even just a couple of words. Does it move? Does the does the joint have mobility? Number 1. Number 2, can you coordinate that mobility? So can you use that full knee and hip flexion to get to a a squat to depth? Do you have the motor control to do that? If you have those two things, then it's time to load it and it's time to build strength around it. I think mobility gives you the capacity to move. Motor control means that you can move safely and then adding strength on top of that means that you can get strong and build long-term health. Do you consider motor control and stability synonymous or different? Man, that's a tough question. So I've been (laughs) trying to, I've had an article sitting in front of me for a long time that I really want to write talking about the differences between mobility, stability, and motor control. You know, being from the FMS crowd and mindset with a lot of things, they tend to lump stability and motor control together and they are separate issues, but it's, it's really hard to define, at least for me, what the difference is. I guess I tend to think of stability as a, as more of a single joint issue. You know, does your scapula not go crazy as you go into elevation? Do you have the, the glute control to keep your knees from diving into valgus? That's what I tend to think of as stability. And then I think of motor control as the coordination of all of those joints together. Right. But yeah. that's probably going to be an, an always evolving definition for me. And that's such a, you know, like a lot of things, it's on a continuum. And I feel like that continuum is pretty small and it's and, hard to distinguish. And, and there is overlap. And it's so funny you mentioned you have an article sitting in front of you. I do as well. I mean, that that's actually one of my, the articles like on my, my docket of things to write is this kind of stability, mobility, motor control issue and how they all fit and work together and are different. You know, same but different with stability motor control, but uh, it's a really interesting topic. So, yeah, I can't wait to read that one <laughs> from you, and then maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll be able to put it down then. Right? Can I just copy and paste your article? Go ahead, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we talked a little bit about uh, Kelly Sturet, so I'm curious uh, who are the top three or four or so coaches, professionals who have had the greatest influence on you and, and where you're at. You're gonna have to give me a minute to think about that one. <laughs> And the other part of that question is if you could work with anybody for a day and, uh, you know, work in their wings, who would you work with and why? So maybe those questions kind of go together. So I'd say the, uh, the top three rehab professionals that have influenced me, uh, number one, that's going to be Greg Cook and what he's brought with the functional movement systems, selective functional movement assessment. And I guess that, that entire crowd, obviously he's the, the spearhead of it. Secondarily would probably be Robin McKenzie and his style to, Assessing and treating back pain has been uh, very good for me. It's such a simplistic viewpoint of how to treat backs, but can be super effective. And I think that combined with the the functional movement system stuff, 
uh, can be a really powerful combination. And then uh, thirdly, from a physical therapy standpoint, I'm going to have to throw out two guys that I had the pleasure of working for, Todd Coos and Bruce Bewley, um, who were just two physical therapists that are unbelievable when it comes to interacting with patients and communicating with them well and uh, teaching you how to build that rapport with people really, really fast. Wow. Okay. All right. That's uh, that's a pretty broad um, category of people. A lot of different uh, experiences and uh, different insights there. I think people think a lot of times about the big names as far as physical therapy and strength and conditioning and what they bring as far as the methods that they they have to offer. You know, the the functional movement system has a lot to do with methods. McKinsey is a lot of methods, but you know, the Todd Hughes and uh, Bruce Bewley, people, we forget about how much that interaction with the patient and client means. And and that's probably more than what we actually do with them. Your ability to build rapport, communication, to lead other people is going to take you further in life than those technical skills will. And so, you know, I can't leave out guys like that that have just poured into me as far as building that relationship with others. Definitely. Now, if you could work with somebody for a day and and follow in their wings, who who would you like to work with? I'd probably have to say Gray Cook again on that one. Um, I've just you know, I was at Selective Functional Movement Assessment a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking to a guy that, that works at SFMA headquarters and just his description of what an environment is when Gray's there and his interaction with patients and ability to see things through that movement lens and pick out details so quickly. I can't think of somebody that would probably be better to learn from in yeah. a day. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. Really brilliant. I uh, One of the courses I did a few years back was the CKFMS certification. And that was a four-day thing with Gray Cook and, and Brett Jones. And just to see Gray analyze movement dysfunctions and just be able to get to the root cause and clean things up. I mean, in front of a large group, I mean, it was it was amazing. I'll never forget that experience. That was one of the most uh, valuable learning experiences for me. And just to see his brilliance was was really unbelievable. I was literally just telling someone about that today. And what was interesting is that whole four-day experience, you know, day one was really looking at the the FMS, which is pretty simple assessment to do, simple screen to do. But the the real brilliance to that is all of the corrective strategies. You know, it's you have the FMS, now what do you do with it? And that's what the other three days were built on. So amazing experience for me. Yeah, it's it's amazing to uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of practitioners who who use the functional movement systems. And when you look at it as it's just a a simple screen to look at a few minor details, it doesn't get you very far. But when you think about it as a whole body of work, the corrective exercises, the ability to break out mobility versus stability and motor control things, it's a, it's a powerful tool. It's not perfect, but it can give you so much insight so rapidly uh, that it's, it's an, it's great to have right now. How do you work to to get better? So you, you just went to a, a course, the SFMA, I believe, is what you said. So yeah. h- how do you always continue to evolve yourself and get better as a coach, as a therapist? Well, we're fortunate right now, man. The the blogging world, the podcast world is so huge. You know, there are a hundred blogs out there putting out great content every day of the week. So, you know, I'm definitely reading nonstop blogs and I travel a lot. I probably travel two or three weekends out of the month. So I'm on the road nonstop and I'm a podcast junkie. You know, <laughs> I, I got to listen. I listen to your podcast every week. I listen to a lot of other people's. There's just a ton of free information out there right now. Then, you know, you got to 
read books and stuff too, because obviously with podcasts, you can't give, you know, all your tips away with, with blogs, you can't give all your tips away. So I'm always constantly reading books. I uh, just picked up Stu McGill's book. Um, also like to read a lot of those, uh, you know, more leadership communication style books as well. So it's nonstop reading, nonstop podcasts. And when I can getting to those weekend courses or, or online courses. Nice. Well, that about covers it. Reading podcasts, workshops, seminars. I mean, that's it. <laughs> that's a lot of, um, that there's a wealth of information out there to all of us nowadays. And again, I was just talking about this with someone that I was interviewing recently. So it's, just it's amazing how much free stuff is out there right now. Absolutely. What advice do you have for, we have some young listeners to the show. I know I mentioned getting emails earlier from young strength coaches and people that are trying to get into physical therapy. What advice do you have for those young coaches out there and people that are looking to get into PT? It's a grind. You know, there's, especially in like the sports physical therapy setting, there's a lot of people that want to be in, in these jobs. They're very high demand. And so you've got to do things to separate yourself from others because you can't just show up to class and have good grades and expect to, you know, be handed the, the greatest job on a silver platter. You've got to be willing to do those extra things that are going to set you apart, which might mean, you know, for me, that meant blogging and writing for CrossFit Journal and anybody else that would, would take something from me to try to establish a name for myself. So that I could get into a more, you know, full-time sports setting instead of just part-time. You got to find that thing that you can do that's going to separate yourself from others. And then you better be willing to hustle and grind at it. If you're not willing to put in that extra work, then uh, you shouldn't expect to get anything out of it. I think I saw an article on your website and I didn't read it. I saw the headline and I wanted to ask you about this. I intentionally, uh -oh. I intentionally didn't read it. So the article was, it was something along the lines of uh, training tips or insights that you wish you knew. So mm -hmm. if you could talk about that, cause, cause that's actually a question I like to ask people is what do you wish you knew 10 years ago? All right. I'd say, uh, I'll go through the list of the five things that I said. Number one for me was, was the impact breathing can have in my mobility. Specifically, you know, I am not a PRI practitioner, but a lot of people are doing this 90, 90 breathing right now. And for me, uh, I mentioned earlier, hip internal rotation was a big deficit of mine. And that was really impacting my squat, especially in the bottom of the squat position. Adapting some 90-90 breathing and some variations of that really helped open up my hip mobility and has taken a lot of pressure off of my knees. I used to always you know, battle every four months of hard training. I'd get hit with a nasty bout of patellofemoral pain. Since I've gotten my hips opened up, that's helped me a ton. Number two for me was was shoulder internal rotation. Again, we mentioned this earlier, but um, I had really, really poor shoulder internal rotation and I would get hit every four or five, six months with a nasty bout of shoulder impingement until I got that shoulder internal rotation piece fixed. Um, I also would have spent a lot less time on a foam roller like I think a lot of us would now where we realize that we don't need to you know, be killing ourselves on a foam roller or rolling around for 10 to 15 minutes before every workout. I'd still probably use a foam roller some. I just would only get on it for 30 to 60 seconds before I work out and then, uh, and then get on with other stuff rather than wasting a ton of time. And the, the last thing was uh, I think I spent a lot of time, a lot of wasted months and years training when I was programming for myself. Even if you've got a very good mind for programming and you understand how to do that for others, you lose a lot of objectivity when it comes to programming for yourself. And I found that for a long time, I was programming the things that I wanted to do, not the things that I needed to do. 
and I wasn't holding myself as accountable as I expect my athletes to be. And so I spent, you know, a greater part of a year making no strength gains, no, no aerobic capacity gains, just going in the gym, doing what I wanted to do rather than what I needed. And I finally outsourced my programming to another company. And since then, my strength has been flying through the roof. I haven't gained as much strength in a couple months as I, I haven't gained near as much strength in the past couple of years as I have in the past four months of having somebody program for me. And I think just, just backing off and having the uh, ability to say, Hey, I, I'm not cutting it for myself. I need to have somebody else help me out. So do you have a coach for this or? Yeah. A uh, heavy metal barbell club programs for me. Uh, that's Taylor Harris and Sean Rigsby. They're two high level Olympic weightlifters in Charlotte, North Carolina. They used to be part of team muscle driver. I think they're, uh, they're awesome at programming and making individualized coaching for me and, and what I need to be doing. What do you think you were lacking? I'm just curious. What were you not doing? So you said you wanted to do things, but you weren't doing what you needed to do. What did you, what did you need to do? Um, I needed to do a lot more volume work than I was doing. I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, working up to a max set of three, max set of five. And now I'm going into the gym and, and this past week, I worked up to a 10 rep max and then I dropped down 15% and did three sets there. And I never would have programmed that much volume for myself, even though, you know, I understand the benefits of it. It's just one of those things. I don't want to do four sets of 10 squats at heavyweight. So I would never program <laughs> yeah. that for myself. And having somebody else force me to do it has been a big change. I would never program myself going in and doing six sets of two on cleans. But these guys will force me to do it sometimes to get my volume higher. With the high volume with squats, are you putting on mass? Are you gaining weight? What's the uh, phys- um, physical outcome of that? Yeah, I probably haven't weighed myself in two or three months. For me, as somebody that really loves Olympic weightlifting, I'm not a competitor. I just want to have some certain goals that I want to hit. I just care if the, the weight's going up on the, the barbell and can I still do muscle ups? So, you know, if I'm getting a little chubby for myself, I'll notice that the, that the muscle ups aren't happening anymore. And if I could still crank out five or six muscle ups, then I know my weight's where it needs to be. That's really interesting about the, uh, the programming. Good stuff. All right. Let me, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, if you had to name the top three movements slash mobility exercises for most people, what, uh, what are you naming as the top three? Number one is going to be goblet squat. Number two, I'm going to say a face pull Y press to an overhead squat. That's a little difficult to describe. I'm basically taking a, a resistance band attached to some stable surface and I'm going into like that 90, 90 position, like I'm signaling a touchdown. Right. And then I raise my arms up overhead so that I'm in like a giant Y that's the face pull Y part. Yep. And then I maintain that shoulder position and I'll go down into a squat. And what that does is it activates a lot of that upper back muscle, posterior rotator cuff, lower traps, basically helps you build a little bit stability in that overhead position. And then you go down into a squat. And because you're pulling back into that band, it helps you kind of sit back a little bit more, which I think will help most athletes load their hips up a little bit too. So we got goblet squat, face pull, Y press, and, um, then I'm probably going to go with uh, downward dog. And then I like to actually progress it to where you take one hand up in that bottom position and kind of hold some stability there on that one arm and then put that hand down and go to the other side. So the downward dog is awesome because you're going to hit a little bit of hamstring flexibility. 
you're going to hit some shoulder flexibility, some thoracic spine mobility, and you're also going to be activating those shoulder girdle muscles as well. Excellent. That's a nice uh, list of uh, three exercises that will do a lot. Uh, kind of that global uh, movement, active mobility type, you know, that we were talking about earlier in the podcast here. So great, uh, great exercises. Do you have an article on the um, face pull Y press squat? If you do have anything, I'll, I'll link to that. Yeah, there, there's definitely some articles on my site and I'll, I'll shoot those to you afterwards. So we talked a little bit about uh, books here. You mentioned some leadership slash communication book. Uh, one of the questions I always ask is, what's the book that you recommend the most to others? So I wonder if we could have maybe one fitness book that you'd recommend to the audience and then maybe one leadership book. Uh, leadership book, definitely for me, I love the book Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard, I believe it is. It's just a great way to look at and, and analyze how your customer service is. I think a lot of us could do a whole lot better job of selling things. I'm definitely included in that. And the raving fans approach to it is is so simple, but so powerful at the same time. From a um, you know fitness side, me being a, a rehab slash strength and conditioning guy, I don't think anything bridges the gap through the whole movement rehab spectrum as much as movement by Gray Cook. This has been pretty much a Gray Cook uh <laughs> endorsement here, right? Right. Um, Talked a lot about Gray. That, yeah. yeah, that that book is uh, has just done so much for the strength, conditioning, and rehab communities. That without a doubt, that's that's probably number one for me. Great book. I mean, that's a it's such a deep book that you know you read it once and you and you have to go back and reread it several times to really kind of digest it. Amazing book. Amazing book. I mean, definitely one of my top ten fitness slash performance books, without a doubt. Hey, I got to also throw it out there, man. Edge yeah. of Strength was nice. an awesome read. <laughs> Very cool, man. Dude, I, I knocked that whole thing out in one weekend and I never do really? that with books. Wow. That's awesome, man. It's rare that I do that. I mean, I, I love reading books, but sometimes I will just sit down and just devour a book. So that's and that's cool. That's cool. As, that, as somebody that just loves strength training, man, <laughs> I love the fact that the whole book, it's like a love letter to strength. <laughs> That's probably the That's best awesome. way you can describe it, man. You did a great job yeah. on that. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And that was not a plant or anything like that. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So your website is the barbell Uh, where else do you want people to go to find you learn more connect? I know you do a lot on Instagram as well. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook by searching for the barbell physio. And then on Twitter, it's at Z long DPT. Excellent. What's the key article that you'd like to direct people to on the Barbell Physio? That's a question I really like to ask because as much as we say, hey, go check out this person on the website, what's the one article that you're maybe most proud of on your website that people absolutely have to go and check out? I'm going to say my favorite article that I've written is called Dissecting the Squat. It was actually in CrossFit Journal, but it, it basically is my way of analyzing the squat from its mobility and motor control needs so that if you're somebody that that doesn't feel like you've got an optimal squat right now, that is an awesome starting point for you understanding more of the root causes and not just going out there and taking a shotgun approach of stretching your hips and stretching your ankles of really breaking it down to what is limiting your performance in the squat. And you can get to that either by going to the CrossFit journal and downloading it, or you can search for it on my website and get links to it. 
Well, I'll make sure that we have a specific link for that in the show notes section for this interview session. So, and I'm actually excited to check that out. I think that sounds like a great article. So thanks for sharing that. And uh, okay. So back to the other thing, is there anything you want to mention before my final question? Yeah. I'm also hosting the global performance summit that's coming out May 9th through 16th. It is a free online event that you can attend. Um, if you go to globalperformancesummit.com, you can register for that. We've got some awesome names in the strength and conditioning world talking about a wide variety of topics related to fitness and athletic performance. Uh, we've got guys like Charlie Weingroff, Dan John, Dean Somerset, John Russin, Quinn Hinnock, and just huge variety of guys, 12 total talks. Every interview I'm super excited about because it's just going to be a lot of great content for people to have. And uh, we also got you coming on it, which we're looking forward to hearing more from you on developing strength. Yeah. Very excited about it and very honored to, uh, to be a part of that. So thank you. Mm-hmm. So as I always ask, what's the one big action that uh, you'd like everybody to take away from our chat here today? What's something actionable that they can walk away with? Either, you know, read an article or find somebody that can help you break down your movement and identify those specific limitations you have to your movement so that you don't spend weeks, months, years fighting uh, an unwinnable battle because you're doing the wrong thing. If you can pinpoint what your specific limitation is, your movement, your health will improve much more rapidly. I'm going to dig, dig a little deeper on that. So how do you recommend, what's the best advice to find someone who can assess your movement? Whether it's a coach or rehab professional, I, th- I think, again, that the Functional Movement Systems has done a great job of helping people break down movement. So you could probably go to their website and look up you know, certified providers in your area or just talk to other people at your gym about the the people that they work with and really dive into, does this person know how to analyze your movement? There's a lot of great, great physical therapists, chiropractors out there that are good at getting people out of pain, but may not be good at analyzing how they move to teach them what they need to do for performance. So um, I wouldn't recommend just going to whoever for that. You need to dig into that a little bit and make sure it's somebody that understands movement. Definitely. So do a little due diligence and uh, just make sure that you're getting a uh qualified assessment, I think is really what it comes down to. Right. Zach, this has been great, man. Uh, great talk. A lot of great nuggets in this interview. I hope that people pull out all the, the things that were discussed because there's a lot of great content. And I really mean that in this session. So I hope people can take out a lot of the great things that we talked about here. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And guys, be sure to take action and apply something you learned from the show. We'll see you next week on the Ardella Training Podcast. Take care. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast this week. And if you'd like to become part of the Ardella Training community, be sure to go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join to get your free training mistakes guide, which contains 12 critical training mistakes I made through the years. I know this 36-page guide will save you time and frustration and accelerate your training results. And it's free. You'll get that and so much more at ardellatraining.com forward slash join. Hope to see you there.